Hi, and welcome to Jewish Time, a podcast brought to you by the Atlanta Jewish Times, keeping Jewish Atlanta connected. I'm Jeff Silberblatt, and my mission is to bring you an interesting and timely conversation. This podcast is sponsored by the Atlanta Jewish Life Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit whose mission is to create a sense of community and understanding of Jewish culture and traditions throughout the dispersed Jewish people of Greater Atlanta, while sharing our culture and strengthening the bonds with the greater community at large. Today's guest is Paul Root Wolpe, PhD. He's the Raymond F. Shinazi Distinguished Research Chair in Jewish Bioethics. He's a professor in the departments of medicine, pediatrics, psychiatry, neuroscience, biological behavior, and sociology. He's the director of the Center for Ethics at Emory University. Paul Root Wolpe, welcome to Jewish Time. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for asking me. So much has happened in the world in the last couple of months with the pandemic, Mm -hmm. with the protests, with the looting, with the riots. And I think that you're the perfect person to put all of this in perspective, specifically from a Jewish perspective. So I spent the last, the first part of the last few months deeply invested in the COVID situation as the director of a center for ethics and as the national president of an association of all the bioethics center directors of the United States. We were in conversation with each other about writing policies for our institutions and our hospitals around triage and ventilator allocation and all of that. And one of the things that emerged from that that was very clear was the impact of COVID differentially on wealthy and poor populations in the United States. So this issue of the kind of structural inequalities in our country began to emerge from COVID very, very clearly. And in articles that we wrote as professionals, um, we were always very careful to include the, the, the structural nature of both racism and poverty in this country and their connection. So that was emerging, emerging even in COVID. And then interestingly, and I'm a sociologist, by the way, which is a rare thing for an ethicist to be. So I'm trained in, in analyzing social trends and social structure. And what was very, what's interesting, if you look back over the last few decades of history, is you have these triggering events that end up igniting a simmering kind of problem that we have in the society of, of various kinds. And the death of George Floyd was the triggering event for an understanding of how powerfully this country still maintains those kinds of systematic racist and structural inequalities. And we as Jews have a role to play in this for a variety of reasons. And I'm going to go through both COVID and what's happened with George Floyd. First of all, we're disproportionately involved in medicine, medical care, and by the way, in bioethics, for those who are interested in that. It is uh, an oversampling of Jews in there. Why wouldn't it? You know, ethics, philosophy, and medicine in their areas that Jews have always been particularly interested in. Jews have been particularly involved in civil rights. We've been historic allies of the black community. We, you know, Heschel marched with Martin Luther King and was one of his closest advisors. So on both of these levels, Jews play a disproportionate role. When you add that to our ideological commitment to justice, 
Tzedek Tirdo, justice repeated twice in the Torah to emphasize the powerful importance of justice in our country. We cannot close our eyes to the ways in which our history of systematically ignoring or not taking the courageous steps to remediate structural problems in our society that lead to injustice, Jews have to be a prominent voice in in this moment when we have an opportunity perhaps to move the needle and to make some change. The protests and the discussions uh, over the death of George Floyd are fairly new, less than less than two weeks since this has all erupted. And I'm not sure that anybody in the mainstream media has connected the protests with the specific view that you have that there is a, a, a Jewish connection. Well, any crisis is going to magnify problems in the society. So when you have a crisis of the of the breadth and depth of COVID, you're going to find that it's going to disproportionately affect the weakest and most vulnerable in society. And when you have a society that is engaged often outside of public consciousness and actions that have rendered certain populations vulnerable, when that vul- vulnerability manifests in a crisis, you have a responsibility as a society to try to do what you can to help that vulnerable population. And we see that in medicine, and medicine is very sensitive to this. Medicine sees those structural inequalities all the time. There are racial disparities in health. There are racial disparities in treatment. There are racial disparities in access to treatment. I mean, all of this is so well documented and for so long. I've been a sociologist for 40 years, and we were studying this when I was in graduate school. And things have gotten better, but only marginally better. When you see that, you have to step up. And since our tradition has resulted in Jewish leadership in the civil rights movement, in the feminist movement, in all of these movements that say there is a structural problem here and we need to fix it, in all of those movements, and even in the um, disabled rights movements, you see Jewish leadership as part of that. So um, it's not surprising that now in the wake of, of George Floyd's death and, and the protests that have happened in the aftermath, that you also see Jewish voices as prominent voices encouraging us to try to fix the underlying problems that are, that are being caused by this. And, you know, and, the, and rabbis and other Jewish leaders have stepped up and, and, and generated statements, I think, that have been very powerful, sensitive statements. The protests that we've seen on mainstream media have been very much race related. It's all about Black right. Lives Matter. I've not seen mm-hmm. any outrage that the problem is with the Jews. And I'm asking if you have seen that, not just here in the United States, but now we're seeing protests happening around the world because of what happened yeah. with the death of George Floyd. So I have not seen it. I mean, I am sure that if we went into the anti-Semitic websites, we'd see this uh, blamed on the Jews at some level. Sunspots are blamed on the Jews. I mean, you know, there is nothing, there's nothing on those websites that isn't blamed on the Jews. But the truth is, I don't care that much about it. And there's one other, because this moment isn't about the Jews. Our job right now is similar, I think, to what the job is that we have as white Americans. Remember, Jews are primarily white and we, benefit from that privilege. Um, we're not scared to walk the streets at night because we're Jews. 
Uh, but my African-American colleagues are scared to jog at night because they're African-American. And there is a moment when Jews need to step back, be supportive, try to help our allies and find out ways in which we can, in the background and without promoting ourselves, um, you know, be of service to our friends right now who are suffering in the same way that we ask them to be for us when we are suffering. We need to turn to our allies in the African-American community, what can we do, and to take it upon ourselves to courageously speak out and act in support of them in thoughtful ways. So I think there's a role for Jews here. I'm uh, not seeing a lot of you know, anti-Semitic responses to this in a way that would suggest that people are blaming Jews for any of this, except perhaps on the very margins and fringes. And even internationally, I don't think there's there's been a lot of that. But I do think we have a responsibility. I want to go back to the 60s and the race riots that we saw in specifically yeah. Detroit, but in every major, almost every major city, um, had some sort of protests in the 60s. Is there any connection yes. between what happened and what triggered those race riots, and what we're seeing today. What did we do coming out of those race riots to make peace? And mm -hmm. how did we get back into this situation today with uh, the current state of where we are in the society? Yeah. I think that that's a great and key question. And here I draw on my sociology training because I think there's a connection here that most people don't understand or see. Riots, well, let's take protests. Let's forget about riots for a minute. There were massive protests in the 60s and riots were a very small part of that. And there are massive protests going on today and riots are a very small part of that. To focus on the riots is unfortunate um, because, and we could talk about that in a minute, but so what connects the 60s and the current time? What, what people often don't understand is you don't have those kinds of protests when at the, at the height of oppression. So African-Americans did not engage in massive protests in the 30s and 40s when they were deeply and profoundly oppressed. Protests happen when things are changing and the, and the group feels empowered. So the reason there were protests in the 1960s is because the civil rights movement and the, and the position of African-Americans had changed they were feeling the possibility of, of changing some of the oppressive acts that had happened against them before. They were in a moment of power shift where they felt more power than they had in any decade, probably in the history of the United States. And that power translated into, we need to stop this. And people asked at the time, why now when things are changing, when, when racist laws are being repealed, why are they protesting now? This is the best they've ever had. It. And that's exactly why they were protesting them. Because when you see the possibility of light at the end of the tunnel, when things are changing in your oppression, that's the moment at which you say enough is enough. And that's exactly what's happening today. We have unprecedented numbers of black mayors in the United States, of black police chiefs. We have more power in the hands of Africa. We just had an African-American president. We have more power in the African-American community, both politically and economically, by the way, than any time in American history. And that, and when you have that kind of social capital, you can turn and say, enough is enough. And these things that we have been tolerating, we will tolerate no more. 
So there is a direct connection, I think, between the 60s and today. This is the Jewish Time podcast from the Atlanta Jewish Times. A quick thank you to our sponsor for this podcast, the Atlanta Jewish Life Foundation. Our guest today is Paul Root Wolpe, PhD. He is the director of the Center for Ethics at Emory University, and he publishes many papers in the fields of sociology, medicine, and bioethics, and has contributed to a variety of encyclopedias on bioethical issues. Does this problem, these protests, can it be alleviated with a stronger black leadership in this country? What I have noticed, we're watching, you know, on CNN, on Fox News, on MSNBC, is that there doesn't seem to be a black leader who has spoken up, except for Killer Mike, who, who spoke mm-hmm. up eloquently uh, last Friday evening in, in Atlanta. Uh, but that was local. That was local Atlanta. Right. Where is the black leadership today to make statements and to try to quiet things down and get into a real discussion that's going to lead to change? Well, first of all, there is a black leadership that's trying to be heard. Stacey Abrams had a commentary in today's New York Times, an op-ed in today's New York Times. So so leaders are speaking up. But, but I think the 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 lack that you are noting is not. A, a characteristic of the black community. It's a characteristic of the Amer- of American society. I think we have a vacuum of leadership in our society. Uh, we don't have the strong emergent leaders that we had even just you know a decade ago. Voices are suppressed. Opposition is immediately quashed. The strong voices in our society um, are really difficult to find. And because we are so polarized, they tend to be marginalized into whatever group they are associated with. What is really hard to find today is that voice that seems to transcend polarization. Uh, Internationally, we can find it here and there. Maybe the Dalai Lama might be an example. There may be a few others. But domestically, there is no prominent voice, black or white, that um, is not part of the polarization of our society. You did have that. As someone pointed out, I think very perceptively, there was a lot of disagreement and a lot of arguments and a lot of division in society in the 60s and early 70s. What there wasn't was polarization. It's a different phenomenon. There weren't two camps who couldn't and wouldn't talk to each other. There was argument between multiple camps and sometimes they were heated Sometimes they were angry, but there was argument between camps. We don't have argument between camps right now. We have argument within camps. That is, we only talk to ourselves and we don't listen to the other side. And when you have that kind of polarization, finding transcendent leaders is very, very difficult. And when they try to emerge, their voices tend to be squashed because as soon as they say something that's the slightest bit critical of either camp, they immediately get cut off by that camp and associated with with the other camp. So to try to be a balanced leader in in American society today is extraordinarily difficult. That being said, we do see the voices of of black leadership trying to emerge now. And we'll see, um, you know, as we move forward, whether some of those voices can become prominent enough to break through the way we need them to. As a sociologist, I'd like to see what your thoughts are on how this plays out. Does this go away? 
in a month? Does this go away in a year? Is it going to take upheaval of our government leadership? Take me through the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, you know, the next couple of years. How does this get better and what does that look like? I don't think anyone can predict. We're we're in such a volatile time now in a number of areas. First of all, with COVID, we don't know how long we're going to be that kind of an isolated society. Second of all, with um, our economic depression, that's not a great time to try to make these kinds of changes when you don't feel like you have the economic, whether you do or not, you don't feel like you have the economic resources to really make change. And then politically, at least through November, we're in a very tentative political situation. The world will be very different come next January if we reelect the current president or we elect a new president. I also think it's diff- I mean, it seems right now that this protest is powerful. It has legs. It will lead to real change. But we have seen that before. We saw it with Rodney King. We saw it with the Occupy movement. It's very difficult to predict at this point how far this will go, how persistent it will be, and whether it will lead to real significant change or you know, incremental change. Some things will change. There's no question. And the history of these kinds of movements in the past has rarely been revolutionary, profound change. If you look, for example, at the gay rights movement in this country, it worked for years and years and years. And then seemingly overnight, we had gay marriage. If you look at the polls just a few years before gay marriage, there was still a significant percentage of the country that was against it. And then two or three years later, it disappeared. And so it's very hard in these situations to predict how things are going to persist and how they're going to be received. I will tell you this, the president has backed off on his threat to bring in army troops to try to support the police in cities. Were that to happen, I think you would have had a far more provocative possibility of this having legs because of what I think would have been an overwhelming negative reaction to that. So it's those kinds of variables that are very hard to predict. I want to bring back the Jewish perspective back into our conversation. And and I want to ask you a question that's going to have a lot of different views. And that is, we know that in our society, anti-Semitism has always been kind of just bubbling um, just below the boiling point. We've seen an an acute rise in anti-Semitism events and thought-provoking discussions, certainly some protests in the Jewish communities around the world. There's been a rise in that kind of activity. I want to know if there's a similarity between what's happening there and what's been happening in the last couple of weeks with the protests from uh, the George Floyd death. I don't think there's any question. When you have increases in intolerance, you tend to have them against Jews as well as other groups. And that's part of the reason why there has been in this important historic coalition between Jews, African-Americans, and other vulnerable groups. We're seeing internationally a rise in nationalism and in focus on internal dynamics of countries. And COVID has only made that worse, right? I mean, COVID has closed borders. COVID has stopped flights, has stopped uh, influxes of people from other countries, has stopped immigration in a lot of places. We've just uh, stopped flights from China to the U.S. So in a time when there is a battle going on between 
kind of a globalism in the sense of recognizing the interrelatedness and interconnectivity of all of us in all of our countries and a renewed nationalism that suggests that that's a bad thing and that we have to close our borders and that we have to be self-dependent. COVID has been an unfortunate provocateur for those who say we have to close our borders because it has emphasized that kind of parochialism in a way, I think, that has mixed results. I mean, on the one hand, it will force us to make sure that we can make our own masks and we can make our own ventilators, that in the case of emergency, we have the ability to take care of ourselves. And I think that's a good thing, especially looking at it from a medical perspective, which I do. But it also increases a sense of us then and a sense of of in a perverted sense in some ways, who belongs and who doesn't belong. And when that happens, we Jews are always in some peril. We are always part of the group that doesn't quite belong, according to the people who are trying to decide who does and doesn't belong. And so that's part of the reason why I think traditionally and, and so persistently, Jews tend to skew to the liberal side because they recognize that sooner or later, a society can say to us, as it has so many times throughout our history, you don't belong here. And the only defense against that is to make allies and to engage in mutual support around everyone's right to be part of a, of a multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-religious society like the United States. I think that that's always a danger. It's a persistent danger. It's something we as Jews have to be vigilant about. And I also think one of the most important ways we can defeat that is through alliances with the people who are similarly a threat, but also outreach. We can be the models of outreach across polarized barriers. This has been a fascinating conversation because... It's truly given us a, a, a different perspective that we're not hearing in the mainstream media. And Paul Root Wolpe, Ph.D., is the Raymond F. Shinazi Distinguished Research Chair in Jewish Bioethics at the Center for Ethics at Emory University. I'd like to thank you for, for one, your time, but two, your interesting insight into what's plaguing today's society, not just here in Atlanta, but throughout the United States and throughout the globe. Well, thanks so much for having me. I've enjoyed Thank you for listening to Jewish Time, a podcast brought to you by the Atlanta Jewish Times, keeping Jewish Atlanta connected. This podcast has been sponsored by the Atlanta Jewish Life Foundation. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation today, and I hope that you'll share this podcast with your friends and neighbors. Please be sure to check out the Atlanta Jewish Times website at atlantajewishtimes.com for more podcasts and for subscription information. I'm Jeff Silberblatt. Thanks for listening.